So I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know? What do you believe in then? I mean, we've talked about girls, we've talked about movies, we've talked about music, but we've never talked about what you believe in. How could you possibly believe that that's what I'd be thinking? Do you believe in this thing or not? See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Now, where I'm from, we got a saying too. Yeah? It's a question, actually. Do you believe in miracles? Oh, man! Can you believe it? Yo, man, you believe in God? Did you believe in God? Do you believe in miracles? Seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Is that miracles thing from a movie or real life? Both. Do you believe in miracles? Do you dare to believe in them? Happy Easter, Hope Ames. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here at Hope Ames. I'm so glad that I get to say this to you today. He is risen! He is risen! I love you so much. Uh, you can, I feel like this is appropriate. You should turn to the person next to you and say, you chose wisely. We had standing room only at the last service, and you get some nice elbow room. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 72-minute sermon as we dive in to the Word of God together. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that would be a miracle if you stuck with me the whole way through that. But, but do, do you believe in miracles? I find it so interesting that the stories, the films, the shows, they rely on miracles. They put them into the stories. Because it allows the story to keep going, doesn't it? I mean, what would happen if some of the greatest shows, films, stories didn't have those miraculous events? Take a look at these on the next slide here. We've got Luke Skywalker who, who runs into the miracle of the Force. What if he never had the Force? He jumps onto a ship with a big hairy monster and they just go ahead and drift off into space forever. There's no power. There's no miracle. There's no purpose. There's no reason. It just stops and it ends. The story is over. Think about the Chronicles of Narnia. Where's the kids? They don't ever find the wardrobe. Well, then they just end up playing around in an empty old house that has no toys, and it's quite boring. You're not going to read that book. You're not going to watch that movie. The Avengers, if there's no miracle, if there's no last-second heroic acts that happen in every single movie, we know that they're coming. Well, there's no point for the story to continue. Just end the story. Just let it drift off. Lord of the Rings, if there's no miracle, if there's no heroism there, if there's no last-second incredible scenarios that save the day, well, then that's just a really sad story about returning some old jewelry. I mean, it's just pointless, right? Like, what do we do without miracles? Miracles are powerful because miracles help the story stay alive. Miracles give us purpose. Miracles are the things that give new life to the stories that we believe are coming to an end. The miracle happens and the story continues. The Avengers live another day. Luke keeps on flying through outer space with Chewbacca on a mission to bring an end to the dark side. Narnia continues. Lord of the Ring continues with its fantastical journeys. Do you believe in miracles? 
Do you believe in the things that allow our stories to continue even when they seem like they're ending? Statistically speaking, 80% of you think that miracles happen. According to Pew Research, 80% of US American adults believe that uh, miracles do happen. In fact, over half of US American adults say that they have seen a miracle. But I want to say this, I think that there's a difference between seeing a miracle and believing in a miracle. When we see a miracle, we acknowledge that it's real, we see it, but when we believe in miracles, well, we believe that there's actual purpose for them. That the miracle has shown up to put an end to the end. To give new life to the stories that seemed like they were coming to a close. This shows up in the Bible. Jesus shows up to a scene where it looks like the end showed up, but he's here with a miracle. In John chapter 11, Jesus came to a funeral. Came to the funeral of his friend Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters that were also very good friends with Jesus. And the first person that Jesus talks to at the funeral is Martha. Martha comes up to him and asks him a normal question. Where were you? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus gives her like a pep talk for her faith. He says, Martha, I'm the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone who believes in me, their story will continue even when it seems like it's going to conclude because the miracle gives purpose to another chapter. Turn the page. Keep going. Keep believing. And then Jesus asks the important question to her. Do you believe this? I think Jesus is asking us the same question. Do you believe this? Now, Jesus is asking Martha in a very serious situation. He's very serious about the question that he's asking. But there's something interesting about the way that he says, do you believe this? He's not saying, oh, do you believe this? As if it's like some sort of horrific shock. Can you believe what's happening? Instead, Martha's going to be able to look back on this event and say, I can hardly believe it, but it was true. Jesus is inviting her. She's going to see what happens. She's going to see the miracle. Jesus is going to rise Lazarus from the dead. She's going to see it. She's going to have to acknowledge it. But when she sees it, she now has the opportunity to believe it. To believe that the miracle's purpose was to provide another chapter. To put an end to the end. The ability to turn a page. And how refreshing is that? Because usually in life, when somebody says, can you believe this? Do you believe it? it, it it's not... It's not good. Jesus says it, and it's not horrific shock. It said it's shock that points to a jolt of joy. But oftentimes we say, can you believe it? And we're just devastated. You know, there's a lot of plot twists, right? I mean, miracles, they're plot twists. They say, the story's not over yet. Plot twist, turn the page. There's another chapter, plot twist. Well, a lot of plot twists out there, they're not so great, are they? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, plot twist. Humpty Dumpty had a... Okay, so you paid attention for some of you. Okay, we, we're getting there. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty. Plot twist. And I wonder if Humpty Dumpty, I feel bad for him. He's like, oh, can you believe this? I'm splattered all over the ground. How could this happen? Sometimes the plot twists in life are devastating because sometimes the plot twists in life make us think that that's leading us to that end. There's no reason for another chapter. There's no reason for another page. I should just stop now. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Plot twist. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. A lot of times we're left saying, can you believe this? And, and, and it's not a good thing. But praise God for miracles. Because miracles give us the ability to ask that question with hope, with joy, with expectation, with courage to turn the page, to say this story continues. Plot twist, here's the miracle. There's purpose. There's purpose to move on, to keep going, to not stop, 
Jesus' disciples, they lived through plot twists. They lived through these turning points. They lived through miracles. Keep in mind, when they started following Jesus, I don't think that they expected this. I mean, they start following this poor Jewish man. And I don't think that they could have possibly expected that he would teach so eloquently. I don't think they could have possibly expected that he would heal so masterfully. I don't think they could have possibly expected that he would put his hand over nature and it would obey his commands because of his power. I don't think that they could have imagined that he would be so inclusive. I don't think they could have imagined that he would be so loving in such a revolutionary way that he would start to irk the authorities. I mean, don't get me wrong, his power, his teaching, his inclusiveness, his welcome, his love, that irked the authorities, but what really irked them, here's the big plot twist. This poor Jewish man who's performing the things that only God could perform, he says it. Plot twist. I'm God. I'm here. I'm the miracle. I'm the one who gives you hope for a new chapter. Your stories are not ending. And I wonder if the disciples are like, this is amazing, this is great, our story is never going to end, it's great, we're going to have power, we're going to take over Rome, it's going to be amazing, yes, we've got it, plot twist, it's going to have a happy ending, but, but then there's another plot twist. To Jesus, he has angered the authorities, he says that he's God, and the authorities are upset that Jesus is saying that so many people would be welcome with God. The authorities are upset that Jesus is saying that all are welcome in God's family. The authorities are upset that Jesus would go out and touch the lepers, the people who are unhealthy, and yet because he has the power of God, he's not impacted by their sickness. Plot twist for the Pharisees, plot twist for the religious leaders, plot twist for the Roman Empire. They didn't like Jesus because plot twist, all of a sudden, their power was vulnerable. And so now plot twist for Jesus, plot twist for his disciples. They nailed him to a cross. They sentenced him to death. Plot twist is Jesus, who seemed to have so much power, doesn't look powerful on the cross. He looks like a man who's nearing death, and he is. It says this about the religious authorities just mocking him. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. I wonder if the disciples thought, that's it, it's over. You know, it was a good run. We read a lot of pages, but, but the book's over. It's like when you come to the end of a season in your life. It's like when you're a kid and you're reading Harry Potter. You get to the end of the seventh, the end of the seventh book and you're like, wow, I have nothing else to do with my life now. It's just season <laughs> over. Close the book. And that's one of the hard things about an ending. It just ends too soon. It ends too quick. You ever gotten to a point in your life where like, it's over. It's done. And maybe not like actually like physically your life is over, but you mean, oh my goodness, I, I poured so much into this job. I poured so much into my family. I poured so much into my passion. I poured so much into this life. I poured so much into this world. What is it? Like, oh, was it all for waste? Every single word, every single page, every single chapter, now it's just come to an end. What was the point of any of it all? Have you ever gotten to that place where you think the end has come? There's an illustration that happened to me a few years ago. And it's kind of silly, but it's also kind of serious. We have a college ministry here at Hope Ames. It's called Kairos. And when we were just starting up, there was a student there. And on a Wednesday night when we have our Kairos service, he came up to me and he said, hey, tomorrow morning, are you free? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, pastors, we work Wednesday nights and Sundays, so I'm free. I got nothing else to do. Let's do this, you know? <laughs> he said, okay, go ahead and meet me at the airport tomorrow morning, bright and early. I'm like, okay. So I wake up early. I head over to Ames International Airport, busy place, you know, can barely get through security. And, uh, and I get there, and we kind of go through the offices, and he takes me out to the, to the tarmac, I guess, and he says, this is what we're getting into today. And it was so dark, you can't really see it in the picture, but it's this tiny little plane with two seats and just a little prop. 
Turns out this kid was a pilot. And he's like, we're going to go fly. And I'm like, plot twist, this is the greatest day of my life. I wasn't expecting this day. This is amazing. My day got so much more exciting. We get in the plane. He's checking everything. I'm like, okay, he's got it under control. This is awesome. I'm going to be up in the sky. Woohoo! We take off. I'm still having so much fun. And then he wanted to do a test landing. So we turn around. We get closer and closer to the runway. And I heard a word that you never want to hear your pilot scream. Abort! <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Abort the landing? We can't do that. So we're getting down. The plane is really rocking and shaking. And he just jolts the joystick straight up into the sky. And he's flying up. I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. He looks over to me at this moment. He goes, I suppose this is probably a bad time to tell you that you're the first passenger I've ever flown with. <laughs> Plot twist. Can you believe this is happening? Can you believe this? It's over. I'm going to die. This is it. This is the end. All the words, all the pages, all the chapters, it comes to an end today. At the time, um, my wife and I, we were dating at the time. This was back in like 2018. And, uh, and I had texted her. I was like, hey, guess what I'm doing? I'm going up in the sky. I'm going to go fly a plane. It's going to be amazing. I mean, I was probably exaggerating a little bit. Like, I'm going to be controlling the plane, Abby. And then she, uh, she texted me at one point. I was, we were low enough. It's a small little plane. So we're pretty low. And she texted me. She's like, are you in the sky? And I texted back. I'm like, yes, I might not come back. Like, this is terrifying. We flew over West Des Moines, and we flew over a West Des Moines Hope Campus. And from there, I could see my parents' house. And I actually tried calling them and be like, hey, don't want to scare you or anything. But I don't know how to get down. This is terrifying. The student also looked over at me at one point. He goes, I guess I'm really not like doing a great job of building up your trust in me, am I? And I'm like, I don't have another choice. Like, you're the only trust I can have right now. I'm quoting the psalm that says, whom else do I have in heaven but you, Lord, save me. I'm scared. And a lot of times, when we feel like we've come to the end of a story, when we feel like we've come to the end of the chapter, it's like, no, I'm not turning the next page. I don't want to see the end of this. The endings of stories are sad. Some of them are sad because they ended way too early. And it leaves us devastated. Sometimes those endings are so sad, and they're so painful that it makes us just opt out. And if I, if I was asked in that moment, Danny, will you ever get in this plane again? I, the answer is absolutely not. No. But then we did a test landing in Perry. I don't know what a test landing is. I mean, it's a real landing. But we land in Perry, and it goes smooth, and we take off again. And once I realize, okay, he does have this under control. I mean, I didn't have the choice, but I'm so glad that I was in the plane. And that I didn't get out. Because, I mean, the view... The view was just beautiful. You ever seen a view like this? Next slide. I mean, it was just the sunrise and seeing Ames in a whole new way. Like, sometimes we get scared to turn the next page, and I just want to encourage you. Miracles are real. Story's not ending yet. Dare to go to the next chapter. Dare to trust the author of salvation. We landed, and the funny thing is, is, you know, I wasn't so scared anymore about the ending being so tragic and sad and sudden. Instead, I was just sad that it was over because I wanted to keep going. And isn't that interesting? Whether the ending was too short or the ending was after a nice, long ride, endings are tough. Sometimes it leaves us disappointed and devastated. Other times it leaves us just wanting more. I wish this wasn't over yet. The season of my life, whatever it was, I, I wish there was more. 
Every time that I do a funeral, first off, I feel so honored to be able to walk with people through those times. They're very, very difficult. And sometimes when it's a tragic death, there are a lot of tears. And then when there's a long life, there are still a lot of tears. Because we don't like the ending of stories. We want them to keep going. But no matter what, if it's a sad ending to the story, it leaves us devastated. If it's a happy ending, well, it, it still ended. So what do you do? What do you do with the tears at the funeral? There's a psalm that I turn to for this, and, and it moves me. The author is speaking to God. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Make note of this. God notices your tears. This is not cliche. This is truth. God will not waste your pain. God joins you in it. I mean, he really joins you in it. To Martha at the funeral, he says, I'm the resurrection and life. He gives her a pep talk. He moves her, right? But then he talks to Martha's sister, Mary. And maybe you're like Mary. Mary didn't go run out and find Jesus. Mary came to her. Or Jesus came to her. Mary didn't want a pep talk. Mary just wanted a shoulder to cry on. She asks Jesus the same question, where were you if you'd been here? My, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus doesn't give her a pep talk. Instead, he just gives her a shoulder to cry on. And then it says, Jesus wept too. Jesus wept too. God doesn't just see you in your pain. God joins you in the pain. God doesn't just see your tears. God joins you in the crying. Who do you need God to be today? Do you need God to give you a pep talk for your faith? Are you ready for that? Embrace it. Do you need God to cry with you today? God can do that. God's a miracle worker. God joins you in the story. God doesn't just watch your story. God joins the story. It's because God loves you so much. There's nothing that can keep God apart from you. His love is that drawn to you. I mean, love does this. Love is the thing that draws us together. Love is the thing that moves us to show up into somebody else's life and says, turn the page. I'll go with you. Go to the next chapter. Plot twist. You're not alone. It reminds me of this kind of like legendary tale in our family. And it's a true story, but, but it's kind of neat. These are my parents. Uh, you guys might recognize them. Uh, there's my dad. He's the senior pastor of Hope. Um, he is my boss. Yes, that's how I got my job. No, I'm not ashamed of it. Um, he's wonderful. And that's my mom. They've been married uh, this December. It will be 35 years. They've been married for a long time. Um, and if you see their life, you think, okay, wow, like, Always perfect, always had it together, you know. But actually, uh, that wasn't always the case. Like, they've got this beautiful life now. Um, you know, you see them on their wedding day. They go on all these adventures together in the bottom corners, both of their favorite person in the world. Their granddaughter, Addison. I haven't talked to either of them since January 17th of 2021 because they have a granddaughter, right? No, I'm kidding. They, they still make me feel important. That's good. But um, it didn't always look like this story would continue. My dad talks about how when he met my mom, it was toward the end of junior high when my dad moved to the north side of Chicago into my mom's neighborhood. Um, he saw my mom and he was, he was impressed by her. He was drawn to her right away. And as he was walking toward her, I kid you not, a, a bird pooped on his head. <laughs> Crazy, right? And I don't know if it was the embarrassment or something else, but you think, okay, that drew, that drew them together, right? That's it. Um, and then there was this like small little detail where my dad dated my mom's sister for a year and a half. Um, and we don't talk about it a lot, but we put the fun in dysfunctional, you know what I mean? <laughs> I 
Thanksgiving's a blast. My dad and my Uncle Paul don't talk. I'm just kidding. They get along really well. Uh, they get along great. But uh, then, later on, my dad was at college in Moorhead in Minnesota. My mom was going to college in Chicago. After two years, she decided that she was going to transfer, and she ended up in Moorhead, Minnesota. Same college as my dad. They were both 12 hours away from home in Chicago. And they started dating. They fell in love. And it's like, okay, that's it. Yes, that's the happy ending, right? Happily ever after. And then they broke up. And I think about that. I'm like, oh my goodness. How close was I to not existing? This would have been terrible. <laughs> but it was when my dad was in seminary. And my mom was home in Chicago. And my dad came home for a Christmas break. And he just couldn't stop thinking about my mom. And so here's the story that we talk about. My dad decided, I've got to impress her. I've got to show her that I love her. I've got to show her that I, that I want a next chapter with us, right? So he came up with this plan. Uh, he bought a whole two roses, because I think that's what he could afford at the time. Seminary student, you know, that's how it worked. And he bought two roses. The first one was red. And he bought a red rose, he says, because red roses symbolize love and passion. I love you. I'm passionate about you. Yay. But then he also gave her a white rose because the white rose symbolizes a new beginning, new life. It is true that love, God's love for you. I'm only telling you this story about my parents because I want to point you to an even more powerful love, an even more real love. I love my parents' marriage. It's a great example for Abby and I. I'm so grateful for it. Her parents set a great example for us. They're here. <laughs> they, they honestly do. And we see it. We know that a great, healthy marriage produces new life. Hello, here I am. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Glad that your love produced new life. But even more real than that, even more close than that, God's love produces new life for you. And what if this is the Easter? Where like this entire day is a miracle for you. Where you're not just watching it. You're not just observing it. You're not just acknowledging it. To just see the miracle of Easter is, well, my family really wanted me to go to church with them, so I appeased them. Here I am. First off, that's awesome. You love your family enough to show up and be here with them. That's great. That's, that's fantastic and very loving. But what if you could go deeper? I mean, to believe it. To believe that there's a purpose to the miracle. To look back on this day and say, that day was a miracle because that was the day that it got real for me. Can you imagine that? If the miracle of God's love that creates new life and new beginnings became so real and became so close that it might even just interrupt your day. Kind of like this. We interrupt this Hope Easter sermon to bring you breaking news. Multiple reports are coming in this morning that the body of Jesus is missing. Details are sketchy, but we're getting word of a disturbance in the early morning hours at his tomb. Jesus, the leader of a radical movement that has sprung up in the past few years, was nailed to a cross just this past Friday. He gained attention last week as he entered the city to large crowds spontaneously praising him as their king. The National Guard has been tight-lipped about what has happened here. Associates of Jesus fear the body's been moved by officials, but others are blaming his supporters for trespassing. It's still unclear what happened here in the early morning hours. My superiors want to keep this quiet, but I saw it. This 
overwhelming light, be brighter than the sun, and the ground was shaking. Then this warrior appears, bigger than anything I've ever seen in my life. That's what happened. We're still trying to make sense of what we're picking up on radar this morning. I see lots of activity over the area everyone's talking about. Two earthquakes in the span of three days, and the one this morning coincided with lights observed in the sky. I've never seen anything like this. Now, Mary, you were a good friend of Jesus. I still am. What do you mean? Well, I saw him just today, this morning, actually. I didn't know it was him at first, but he appeared to me. He spoke to me, and he called me by name. He's alive. Excuse me? Hundreds witnessed his death just this last Friday, with authorities going so far as to put a spear into his side to verify. With so many now coming forward to share their accounts of seeing him alive, those numbers are now rising into the hundreds. Well, it's impossible. There have been hundreds of witnesses. What, do you think they're all lying? Uh, Okay, and how do you explain like a bunch of followers who all but disappear when Jesus was arrested and then suddenly find the courage to overwhelm a dozen armed guards and steal his body? Exactly, where's his body? If Jesus is still dead, then why can't anyone who's got the power to do so and everything to lose find his body? As witness statements continue to pile up, it's becoming hard to discount this news as just a rumor that this man, Jesus, who was killed on Friday, may actually be alive. And if that's true... Ray, just a second, I'm getting word that we have some new video that just came in from a viewer. Can we take a look at that? So do you believe in miracles? I mean, it's that real. I mean, it's a dramatization. I got to say, it's kind of cool that all those people are members of your church family. Kind of neat, right? That's pretty awesome. But it's that real. And for the people who lived a long time ago, like, it was like that for them. Don't be so far away from this story. Get close to it. Know how close God gets to you and join him in this resurrection story. I understand that sometimes this is hard to conceptualize and it's hard to believe. And for some of us, it's the intellectual issues with it. It's not because you're not smart, but it's because intellectually, how in the world could you consider yourself a competent person if you believe that someone could rise from the dead? I do want to tell you this. There is evidence for the resurrection. I think it's important that we spend just a little bit of time on this as we look at the reading from today. There is evidence for this. It wasn't easy for the disciples to believe this either. A long time ago, Mark is writing this gospel account, talking about Jesus rising from the dead. We read, we're like, of course, we know where this story is going. We know how it ends. But the disciples didn't. Jesus told them over and again throughout Mark's gospel, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Come the third day, the disciples weren't looking around thinking, oh, hey, we better go check on the tomb. He might be alive. That, that's, that's not what happened. For them, they were just as credulous about miracles as we are. They doubted them. They didn't believe that God would die on a cross. They didn't believe God would show up as a human. They didn't believe that Jesus would actually physically rise from the dead. And I wonder how many of us today doubt, could Jesus have really actually physically risen from the dead? I think I read every single year that, oh, well, the purpose of the resurrection, it's symbolic, but it's so much more than that. The Bible doesn't let us get away with that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If our hope is in Christ is for this life only, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The resurrection is the fuel to our faith. The car does not move without the resurrection. If there is no life after death, we might as well eat. We might as well drink. We might as well be merry because tomorrow we die. The chapters come to a conclusion. 
and the story will end. But there's a plot twist. Jesus did rise from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul also says, but in fact, he did rise from the dead. We do have this hope. You do have this hope. What's the evidence? First off, any historian who is worth their salt will say that Jesus was an actual person who walked the face of this earth. Don't see Jesus as this far and distant person. Jesus was a physical person who showed up. He walked this earth. Nobody will debate that. The other thing is they won't debate that Jesus was killed. He died on a cross. It says this in the book of Mark. It says that the officer who was in charge of Jesus' execution confirmed that Jesus was dead. In the book of John, it says that they pierced him in the side with a spear. Blood and, blood and water came out separately, which, mean, which meant quite literally, physically, he was dead. Jesus did live. Jesus did die. There was no question about that. They also didn't just get his body confused with somebody else. Mark talks about this. There was a man named Joseph who came to the Roman Empire and said, I'd like to take his body and I would like to bury him with my family tomb. It says this on the next slide. Joseph came and took the body away. They kept track of his body. It's not like they just lost track of this. Any historian will say, yes, okay, we can admit that is what happened. Whether that is someone who's a Christian historian, an agnostic historian, an atheist historian. And then it also says that there were eyewitness accounts. You heard this in the reading this morning. There were three women who showed up to the tomb. There's Mary, Mary, and Salome. And all three of these women, they saw it. Mark is saying this. If you don't believe me, I'm naming them. Go check. In the book of 1 Corinthians, again, Paul says, if you don't believe me, ask the 500 witnesses who saw him. Paul wrote that about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. If you've been alive for 20 years and you've been like, kind of like consciously remembering things for 20 years, you remember where you were 20 years ago for the big events of your life. If you are names 20 years ago, and if I say the run at Jack Trice Stadium, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Seneca Wallace. I mean, my goodness, he ran a hundred and some yards in one play and scored a touchdown. It seems unbelievable, but people could say, I was there. I saw it. It happened. Mark is putting his reputation on the line. Paul is putting his reputation on the line. People saw him. Go ahead and ask. Mark is very, very interesting about who he's telling us to ask. There was a... Um, there was a Greek philosopher in the second century who disputed the resurrection. Said, the way that we know, this is a slam dunk argument. We absolutely know that Jesus did not rise from the dead, Celsus said, because the accounts came from women. Now I know that today misogyny pops up, but in those days it was an extremely misogynistic culture. Women did not get to have their say in court. Women's records did not count in the public records. They didn't trust women. Their words didn't count in the public opinion for history, for facts. And so if Mark is making up a story, if the other gospel authors are making up stories, they wouldn't have said it about women. And that's why back in the day, this, this, this philosopher, Celsus, said, we can't believe in the resurrection. It was from women. And today we say, well, that's only more evidence. If you were making this up, you wouldn't have done it this way. You wouldn't have said God came up and showed in, came in and showed up as a human. You wouldn't have said that God died. And nobody expected the resurrection. And nobody expected it to be reported by who reported it. The women would have had some serious issues when they showed up anyway. It says that they're thinking this as they're walking up to the tomb. It says they were wondering, how are we going to move the stone? Not only is the stone 2,000 to 4,000 pounds, it's also being guarded by, by, by a team of Roman soldiers. 
And they're told, you cannot let anybody get to this body. The Roman Empire was on the line. The Jewish establishment was on the line. These are trained killers. These three women could not have taken them on. I mean, is it possible? Sure. But is it probable? I mean, you answer it. Of course not. How could they have done this? Then again, it says after this that an angel says to the women, Jesus was killed, but he's not here. He's risen from the dead. And then it says something so interesting. It says, now go and tell the disciples. The disciples. The disciples. Jesus' closest friends. But when Jesus was taken away, they ran away. When Jesus was killed, they hid. Because if their leader and their teacher was killed, that meant they were next. So of course they hid. But then if you follow the story of the Bible, if you follow even history, what you find out about Jesus' disciples in a sudden plot twist moment in the stories of their lives, they realize my chapters, my pages, my words will continue. Even if they take this life chapter away from me, I still get to live because Jesus rose from the dead. How do you explain that turnaround? How do you explain that plot twist? The disciples wouldn't have changed their mind just for inspiration. It doesn't make sense. We think about this with logic. But of course, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, our doubts and my doubts, and let me say this loud and clear, I have doubts. I struggle with them. Intellectually, I feel like I'm there. I see the evidence and I see it. I know it. I acknowledge it. But my doubts come from a place of personal hurt, personal pain, personal shame. And that's why it's so interesting to me why the angel says to the women, go tell his disciples, including Peter, the one who is so personally and emotionally wounded right now. You go tell him. Do you remember what happened with Peter? Paul says this too in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says there's the 500 witnesses, but, but he was also seen by Peter. You want to know, you go ask Peter. A lot of people saw it. A lot of people are acknowledging it, but Peter really believes this. Why does Peter really believe this? Why Peter? Why is Peter shown? Why is Peter highlighted among the crowd of 500? Well, do you remember the last time that we saw Peter? When Jesus told his friends, hey, I'm going to be taken away. They're going to put me to death. It's going to be the end of this chapter. Peter says, I'll follow you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus says, no, of course not. Absolutely, they arrest Jesus. And Peter's doing his best. He's following Jesus at a distance, it says. One person comes up, two people come up, and a third person comes up. And all three times they ask him, aren't you with the guy who's being killed? And all three times Peter says, I don't know him. And in the most dramatic moment, when Peter denies Jesus a third time, it says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. It says right after this, that right after Jesus sees Peter deny him for the third time, they blindfold Jesus and they start beating him. They start mocking him. Who hit you that time? And you know when you see something and then very quickly your eyes are closed, it's like an image is burned in your brain. And as they're asking him, who hit you that time? I wonder if he's like, if you only knew. Peter got seen in a place of shame. I wonder if his doubt is not necessarily that Jesus could physically rise from the dead, but that Jesus would rise for him. Even if Peter could see it and acknowledge it, could he believe that it had purpose for his life? 
Would it matter? At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And I wonder if Peter thought he was following Jesus to his death. But to me, it seems like when they meet at these devastating moments in their lives, to me, it seems like Jesus followed Peter into his shame. And I wonder how many of us deal with doubt and deal with struggle because we don't believe God could love us. We don't believe that there's a love so powerful that God would give us, mere humans, new life. Another chapter, another page, more words, new opportunities, life forever. But make no mistake about it, the angel said to the women, you go, to the, you go tell the disciples, including Peter. How reassuring is that? How reassuring is that to know that it wasn't the end of the story? I think one of the most difficult parts of this life, one of the most difficult parts of this story, is that it's cut too short, even if it seemed really long. It's so unfair. It's so wrong. That we could pour so much into our family, so much into our life, so much into our passion, so much into our jobs, so much into our friends, so much into our purpose, so much into our dreams. And it's just this tiny little nick in history. Ernest Hemingway is one of the greatest storytellers um, of, modern, of modern storytelling. His friends challenged him one time. Can you write an entire story in six words? Can you tell a whole story in just a little nick on history? Ernest Hemingway, as the legend says, pulled out a napkin and wrote in six words, baby shoes, for sale, never worn. This story, this world, this life can be pretty cruel. And one of the cruelest parts about it is that an entire life could be summarized in six words. What's mine? I've got them, right? I mean, sometimes my fear is like, am I making a difference? Am I making an impact? What's the point of any of this? If there's no resurrection, if there's no life after death, might as well eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow I die. What's the point of any of this? The chapters are going to come to an end. And in the grand scheme of all of history, I'm just this tiny little nick in history. Six words. You could summarize a lot in six words. Do you feel like you could summarize your life in six words? It's humbling. But it's real. Six words it covers a lot. It was the best day ever. It's a lot in that. And yet, looking back, it was just a day. It was the worst day ever. She told me, I love you. He just wants to be friends. We're going to have a baby. Why can't my family get along? I can't see.
past my pain. There's no room for me here. What's your six-word story? Do you need a plot twist? Some of these plot twists are so frustrating. You promised me no more drinking. I hate the way I look. My biggest dreams never came true. I will never be any good. I just can't quit the addiction. The sickness isn't responding to treatment. Sorry, but there is no cure. Sorry, we did everything we could. I will never get over it. I have never felt so alone. Here's a rose for the casket. It's all gone. I have nothing. Are you ready for a plot twist? Are you ready for a miracle? For God so loved the world. The story is not over yet. The light shines in the darkness. Your story is not over yet. You are struck down, not destroyed. You are persecuted, but not abandoned. You are wandering, but you are never alone. You are losing but not lost. You are never on your own. Darkness can never extinguish the light. They nailed him on a cross. They pierced him in the side. God's only son died for us. They laid him in a tomb. He is not there. He's risen. God raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. He has put death to death. You are going to live forever. Did you know that plot twist was coming? You are going to live forever. Who do you need to hear that for today? Who do you need to hear it for? You are going to live forever. He is going to live forever. She is going to live forever. Claire is going to live forever. Leo is going to live forever. Dan is going to live forever. Gary is going to live forever. Wayne is going to live forever. Joyce is going to live forever. Joe is going to live forever. Tom is going to live forever. You are going to live forever.
over. Your story is not over yet. God's story is not over yet. That's the rest of the story. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. He's risen. He is risen. Your story's not over. Turn the page. There's another chapter. There's another book. There's an eternal library. You're going to live forever. Because Jesus really did rise from the dead. And I don't just need the evidence to know about it and to see it and to acknowledge it. I have his love to feel, to experience, and to accept and receive for my new life, for our new life. You're going to live forever. His love gives new life. We're going to live forever.